Hey, good afternoon, everyone. It's Paul Wyand here with another riveting edition of What's the Plan? I'm joined by my faithful co-pilots, uh, Dan Miller and Mark Carbonero of uh, Monterey County and Radio Fame. How are you guys doing today? Doing fine. Just, be- Just I, I don't know about being faithful, but you know, otherwise we're good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, every everyone, as you know, you can go to What's the Plan Monterey.com or go to iTunes or Spotify. And uh, subscribe to us. In fact, subscribe and give a five-star review just to Mark. Uh, but just to give that five-star review, and that helps us out because we d- we have been growing a little bit. So that's that's nice to see. I, um, in fact, uh, I think I'm up to six four now. So yeah, <laughs> that yeah that's right. Dan's tall, and, and you can check it because you can see some of his uh, great movies that we've talked about in past episodes <laughs> that he wrote and acted in. Please. Murder. What is it? Horror 101. I think. Yeah. Yes. That's my favorite. That's one. Yeah. It's free streaming on the internet, everybody. But yeah. Mark, uh, as I know, Mark is crestfallen because uh, Josh Duhamel will not be here with his uh, his rugged good looks gracing the Pebble Beach links at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am this yeah. year. Mark, what are you going to do? Oh, boy. And neither will Bill Murray or the rest of those movie celebrities. So for those who haven't heard. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's a three-day thing now. Yeah, yeah. well, no, it's a four, still a four-day tournament. But um, for those who, but, who haven't followed the news, the format of the AT&T Pro-Am is changing and and rather dramatically for the first time in decades. So, you know, a little backstory on this is that for a long time, the Pro-Am did really well at drawing the top golfers, right? They'd get Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer. They'd get the very top names in the sport that would come out every year and play Pebble Beach. And... You know, going back many, many years, it seemed that the pros didn't have a huge problem with playing at a slower pace because of the amateurs. You know, like, you know, you get some amateur in there who claims to be a, you know, three handicap, but they're really like a 10 or a 12 or even a 20. And yeah, you get Char- Charles Swab's in his, like, he's an octogenarian or something. Right. And he's well, that's true. But you yeah. get guys that, what, what ends up happening is that the pros are used to playing maybe four or five hour rounds on the tour, right? When you're playing against other pros and then you come out to Pebble beach and, you know, sometimes, especially when the weather isn't very nice and you're playing with a couple of amateurs and you're foursome and it turns out to be a six and a half or seven hour round. And so some of the pros, they would complain about that. They complain about it throws off their rhythm and so forth and everything. And so there have been, a lot of the top pros that just said, hey, I'm just not going to play this tournament anymore. I don't care. There are other places in the world I can play and make a lot of money. There are other, other you know, events I can play in the United States and do well at. And so there has been a diminishment of, of uh, PGA Tour star power on the Pebble Beach links, you know, for the, tur- for the you know, tournament every year. So uh, in response to the, uh, the merger with the LIV tour and the PGA tour that's, you know, coming up, the PGA tour has created eight signature events. And these are events that are going to have huge purses. Like the, the Pebble beach, uh, purse is going to go from 9 million to 20 million. Okay. And the winner's cut is going to go from like 1.8 million from first place to like three and a half million. So it's just going to get a lot bigger. And then the other thing is that these eight signature events require that the top players participate in them. They have to come and play. So they get these guys, but now here's where the format change comes. 
instead of a field of, say, 300 golfers, 150 pros, and 150 amateurs, now the entire field is 160. It's 80 pros and 80 amateurs. And instead of playing on three courses, it will now be played on two courses, Pebble Beach and Spyglass. It will still be a 72-hole, four-day tournament, but the, um, the amateurs will only get to play holes 1 through 36. No amateur play on Saturday or Sunday, and the showbiz amateurs are excluded from this. So I guess you'll still have amateurs from the world of business and things like that. But as far as seeing Bill Murray and his crazy antics and, uh, and a lot of the other and some of the big sports stars and so forth that we saw that were huge gate draws, now it's just going to be people that are amateurs in name, not necessarily names that we would recognize. And it's going to be a completely different tournament. And I just have to wonder, are the people still going to come out and will the TV ratings sustain? Because, you know, when you look at the Saturday Pro-Am, those are some of the highest one-day TV ratings on the tour every year. That, that first Saturday in February or whenever the tournament comes down, that's must-see television for not only golf fans, but just regular folks because... At that point, they can relate to golf because they're watching a movie star, a TV star, you know, their favorite wide receiver or quarterback, you know, with their golf skills out there against some of the best players in the world. So I'm curious to see is what happens with the TV ratings and will the crowds still show up like they have before? Because Saturday's always been a madhouse. Friday and Saturday have been a madhouse out at Pebble Beach during the Pro-Am. And I don't know if John Q. Public is going to be as excited about this new iteration of the AT&T Pro-Am. Well, I know that the, the guys at Pebble Beach are super excited about it. What I'm interested, because you're, you're good friends or... Yeah, you're good friends, I would say, with David Marzetti, and he's got his pulse on the on the golf world. What is, what does Dave think? It'll it'll. I think the increased purse and the star power of like the the Bryson DeChambeau's of the world will will help sir. Yeah. probably make up for the lo- loss of uh, Bill Murray. You know, I haven't I, I I haven't talked to Dave about it, so I don't know what he thinks. I guess we'll find out as the shag bag gets closer to it. Yeah. I think just the Marzetti poll, uh, who needs Josh DeHamel and Murray and stuff. I think just Marzetti being there probably. You know. <laughs> I know, I know be, Josh, Josh DeHamel and uh, Marzetti are, are tight, close personal friends. So, Well, Marzetti's pretty much friends with everybody. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, he actually is. Uh, he is kind of like a, yeah, a I don't legend. know what you would call that. Yeah. What would, I, would, I'd would, say legend. He's a legend. <laughs> but I think yeah. the, the, the fun thing about that was like when we'd go out and do those radio shows out there, those two or three hour shows in the afternoon, um, because of all the amateurs that, that were there, a lot of times we would get some of them on the program. I remember one year we had you know um, Andy Garcia and Tom Dreesen and Jim Plunkett on the program, among others, you know, just to drop a couple names. Um, you know, now, uh, you know, the, th- the CEO of, uh, of 3M, who cares? <laughs> what are we going to do? Talk about Scotch tape for for fifteen minutes with him? Post it. Don't they do post it still? Yeah. Actually, you know, it's funny. Okay, now now we're going to just hit a wild tangent that has nothing to do with Monterey County. 
I saw the thing that 3M had invented on YouTube. And what it is is, you know how the, the, the proliferation of uh, plastic, as, as Christmas is approaching, Merry Christmas, by the way, uh, there's like the bubble wrap and the plastic that comes in all your Amazon packages, right? And this dude at 3M uh, invented this like roll of paper that sliced perfectly. So you have to go to YouTube and watch this. And when you pull on it, if you, if you know what expanded uh, metal looks like, it's like that. It's not quite well. Chicken wire is actually, a, a, but that's wire. But there's an expanded metal that um, you know they make lawn furniture out of it. You know where they cut the metal and then they pull it apart and it makes like that diamond shape pattern. Well, he basically does that with with um, with cardboard or, or recycled paper, and it comes into this form. It's really cool and it just wraps around breakables and you can use it as packaging. Takes up way less space, way less freight weight. So you can do, you can package the same thing with a lot less weight. So, you know, we should support that 3M guy at, at the Pro Beach Pro-Am, Dan. So, so damn you. Yeah, for, you've convinced me, Paul. Have <laughs> I convinced you with, with this, yeah. with this eco-friendly packaging Jeez. idea that they that came up with? That sounds like a snooze thing, but yeah. Well, well no. Go to sleep. Every time I talk about engineering, says, go to sleep. Uh, the packaging sounds interesting, but there's a reason CEOs usually aren't former PR guys. You know, <laughs> you know, they don't want to be out front. They're saying the wrong thing. And then there goes the stock price. They're, right. they're good with numbers. Needless. Yeah. To say. Well, most of them are yeah. former accountants. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that is one thing. Uh, I don't know. Um, one thing that, that kind of bothers me, I'll be honest with you, is that in Market Street and Williams Road in Salinas, they're putting a giant roundabout. This is uh, the uh, million dollar grant. The only thing that kind of irritates me about it is how like bike friendly they've made it because nobody bikes out there. Uh, the only guys that bike out there, maybe there's a few, but I don't know that. I mean, I am a bicyclist too, but I just, th this push to add bicyclists out in the, in the middle of kind of like nowhere, the, the traffic circle makes sense. Cause that is kind of a crazy intersection, but I really don't, I think spending all this money on uh, on bike lanes and stuff, it takes up room. And maybe it's good. I don't know. What do you guys think about bike lanes in the middle of nowhere? Uh, not a good idea. Um, and, right. and especially when you're going out Williams Road, Williams Road leads to, into dead ends into Old Stage Road. And once you get past Baranda, so uh, let's see, Baranda Road uh, basically dead ends into Williams Road, okay? And once you get past Baranda Road, uh, Williams Road is is full of potholes and uneven surface because oh, geez, yes, well yes, that's because yes. where farm vehicles are out there and then of course when you get to Old Stage Road it's a nightmare. Now we can't expect the city of Salinas to do anything about Old Stage Road because that's not in the city that is in the county. But um, I believe Williams Road all the way to Old Stage Road is still within the city of Salinas and it would be nice if the city would include some money for fixing that portion of uh, Williams road. It's about maybe a mile, mile and a half between Baranda and, uh, and old stage. But what the thing about it is, is like you go on the path in, in Monterey, but the old train tracks, and obviously it's bustling with people and bicycles and stuff, but our business express employment professionals, in Monterey County, go to express pros today. Learn more. <laughs> uh, the, the, our, the, in front of our road on Alisol at Alisol and Salinas street, the, uh, there's a bike lane. And I I cannot say that I've ever seen a bike in it. <laughs> uh, and that's the thing about bike lanes. They've now put them anywhere and everywhere. 
including places, like you say, where nobody ever goes. You know, and they're they're talking in Pacific Grove about putting a roundabout in in this this five way intersection by oh, the yeah, old Mission Mich- and the yeah, high Michelin, school yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, so they're having hearings uh, next uh, month that are basic, basically going to rehash what was talked about before. Then they're supposed to come up with some grand plan. We're paying almost a million dollars just for a plan. So why they're not coming with a plan, I'm not exactly sure. They want to get the public input, which we've already given public input. and uh, But it's also all about bike lanes and stuff, too, in this roundabout. And again, you almost never see bikes in that intersection outside of, you know, these days, a couple kids will maybe ride to school, which if you got a roundabout there, good luck with kids on bikes. You right. know, this, Particularly that one's so busy. $15 million but, they're projecting it's going to cost if they put a roundabout at that intersection. I, I, hey, uh, Dan, far be it for me to be a contrarian, but I ride my bike through that intersection once a week, and I feel like I'm taking my life into my own hands, and I'm not sure if it's a lateral move with the roundabout because, first off, you got the construction for whatever, two years, and – it, it is a dangerous intersection to, to cross on a bike in the early morning when the sun and the, that's usually when I'm up there. Um, so maybe I so should really not ride my bike it, up there. <laughs> is that what you're saying is move the sun? Is that, uh, sun, is that yeah. an alternative? <laughs> no, I'm saying I probably shouldn't ride my bike at the intersection because I that's, think no matter what you do, it's pretty deadly up there. Well, I think you know what? Several high school I, kids have gotten hit right near there too, by the way. I've been up on 19th Street, which you're also going to look at, but I've been going through that intersection my entire life. So, you know, 68 years, either riding in a car or driving a car. I go through there, you know, a couple times a day, probably on the average. And uh, and I've never had a problem. You just wait till everybody goes in their turn. How hard is it? They've had two accidents there in two years. One was somebody running through a uh, the stop sign not stopping at the stop sign and hitting T-boning a truck. I don't know what the other one was, but. Uh, so when you have the concept, what you're supposed to do is look at what the needs of that intersection or any intersection are, how many accidents are there. And the real interesting thing is I, I, when I uh, wait for my kids up to high school, I can look down Sunset Drive and there'll be car after car after car coming through there. And that's with stop signs. Mm. Now put in a roundabout. If you're on 19th Street, you're never going to be able to get onto Sunset Drive. If you're walking across 19th Street, good luck for somebody to stop and let you come across. Same thing happens now up at uh, Skyline Forest since they put in the roundabout up by the hospital and the entrance to Pebble Beach and stuff. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to come out of Skyline Forest now, sometimes you sit there and wait and wait and wait and traffic backs up into Skyline Forest. Because it's a constant thing because the roundabout. So you have the good with the bad. It's Good I'm, I'm kind of a fan of roundabouts, though, Dan. I don't know about that roundabout. I don't know what the one about uh, Williams Road either, but uh, I'm kind of a fan because, you know, people slow down and it does make in, it a little – things flow. Like that intersection places. by Chomp yeah. is a little better. Yeah, I, I think Skyline Forest oh, and 68 need a, a stoplight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, actually, that isn't there – there is one at the Chomp, isn't there? Correct. At the Chomp term? But yeah. The, yeah, there's yeah. one at the Chomp term, but they could use – I think they're getting to the point now because of the way the traffic, so much traffic is coming from uh, basically what the uh, the south, the southerly direction, that to get, and I've, I've experienced that, Dan. I've tried to make that left-hand turn 
from Skyline uh, Drive onto 68, and you just wait and wait and wait forever. It probably wouldn't be a bad idea to to consider putting a stoplight at that intersection. I, you know, Dan, I think that uh, 3M packaging ideas, innovative packaging ideas, way more fun to talk about than traffic solutions. <laughs> and traffic so- but anyway, hey, well, Carrie Tice is over the moon. I, I'm personal. I'm friendly with Carrie. I think she's awesome. Apparently, the Hofsa's house has been, it's not historic. So the uh, despite the protestations of uh, a handful of uh, Carmel residents, very uh, active Carmel residents, it looks like Eric Miller and his craftsman style design may be coming to the Hofsa's site, which is which is good for Carrie because I think they don't have elevators, and uh, it is a you know it's kind of outdated and, and to bring it up to code apparently mm-hmm. it's, it would cost her tons of money. Well, what do you guys you think, think of that craftsman design? Yeah. I'm kind of interested to see what you think of that design. Well, I mean, Eric's great, yeah. you know, as far as an architect, I mean, you really can't get much better. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. it's. Um, anything would be an improvement as to what is there. I think that's the ugliest building in Carmel. I mean, that is just, it's, I know, it's like this faux, it's like faux Bavarian. Yes. It's, yeah. It's not, the, yeah. no, it's, it's, it's ugly. And uh, this, um, this woman, Meg Clovis had produced a report uh, saying that the building was historic and, and they shouldn't be able to tear it down. And then it turns out that all of the other people that are involved in, you know, fact checking, claims about historic uh, nature of buildings preservation and so forth they said no this this woman's report is full of errors it's this is a, a lot of nonsense and there's there's nothing historic about the place at all and then apparently uh i guess as your friend carrie the owner was saying that her family has uh demolished and added on sections of that thing over the years numerous times yeah. and so um if there was any sort of historic aspect to it that's that's completely gone but no it's and just the elevations a, have you been back there by the pool the elevations are all screwed up going into that parking lot so they yeah gotta, oh no it's like straight down no it's it's a really dangerous yeah. uh you know driveway down no i i say bully i hope that they you know the quicker they demolish the place and build something new there the better yeah well and speaking of hotels dan you'll you'll be have a lively comment about this as i was uh, dropping off uh, something at the local library. I was fascinated to see them drive wow. piles at the uh, that hotel there across from the library. It looks like things are moving apace there. Well, they finally are moving. So it's, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. You know, it's still going to take them, you know, I don't care how fast they go. You, they can only go so fast. And my guess is a year and a half to two years, uh, they're going to be building on that. And then it's going to be a nightmare down there for parking because you're going to have so many employees. And if indeed they do any, thing uh behind the movie theater in that parking lot where the the push on the hotel was hey employees can go park in behind the movie theater uh there could be some serious problems coming up down i wouldn't want to live in that neighborhood i mean they already went through the 520 lighthouse condominiums that are now selling for three million bucks uh construction and now they're gonna have to go through that and it's boy if i lived in that area i'd be selling you know i like if you could find anybody to buy. So, hey guys, you know, something. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, something on you know since we're touching a little bit on on housing and building and stuff, something I really want to talk about, and we touched on it last week, was this whole home key thing, where oh, yeah. uh, Pacific Grove uh, was following uh, Anastasia Wyatt, who was a former. Uh, employee and for the city of Salinas and for the county. And she came here and wanted to bring in 
the same home key thing that she'd pushed in these other cities. And home key, for those people that don't know, is basically cities and the state. The state gives money. The cities become vested in in it and guaranteeing it. Uh, You know, and the operation is basically should be transitory housing, sometimes becomes full-time housing, you know, uh, permanent housing for people in transition, you know, former drug addicts, things like that, you know, and basically homeless people. So good concept, but it's only as good as the people you get. So she came to Pacific Grove and immediately pushed this saying, hey, it's successful. We got it going in King City. I got it going in Salinas. And now I want to do it in Pacific Grove. Well, she didn't have the ducks in the row, including the the, uh, motel that she was proposing, you know, be bought. The people didn't want to sell. You know, a little bit of a problem there. And people did their due diligence and kind of saw that the uh, loss of the city was literally hundreds of thousands of dollars a year between tax and what they had to put in the pot for to turn this hotel into uh, housing. Now, what comes out now is uh, the wonderful... Uh, home key project by Shangri-La and Anastasia Wyatt. And she now works for the city of Monterey, mind you. And as she was going out the door, uh, said, you know, was again, one of those disgruntled employees with, you know, didn't like aggressive questioning of her projects, you know, and that turned her off. Well, that aggressive questioning stopped us from doing it. But meanwhile, the one she has is going, she, you know, was at the forefront of, including the one in King City. I believe she was responsible for that when she was in the county. I know she's responsible for the one in Salinas. They're going under. They're incomplete. They've lost millions of dollars. They've borrowed against the buildings. Uh, they're probably going to be foreclosed. And the one in King City, the according to news reports, the city co-signed for a $10 million loan. Oh. And are currently oh putting God. 40 people that were already supposed to be living in this incomplete place that's going to remain incomplete. They're housing 40 people and paying for their hotels. Oh, no. So if Pacific Grove had done this, could you imagine the problems we'd be having now? And how you go from the city of Salinas, the county of Monterey, to the city of Pacific Grove, to the city of Monterey as a housing person. With this as your background is absolutely beyond me. And why people in these other cities in the county weren't asking more questions is beyond me. This is we're talking millions and billions. Right. Like literally we get on the state level. It's happening in, in uh, LA too. Uh, where somebody else, another company was, you know, housing these people weren't doing their what they were supposed to be doing. All of a sudden, you know, all these people are homeless. You know, again, you know, it's Dan. That there's no accountability. That's right. the key here: accountability. Well, look, Dan. If uh, you know any member of the Monterey City Council w- was on the ball on this you would be asking very hard questions of city manager Hans Unsler because yep. look, the city manager hires this person and yep. you're counting on the good judgment of the city manager to hire people that aren't going to expose the taxpayers to a lot of liability. And it sounds like the ball has been completely dropped, which is amazing considering 
the paper trail and the track record of this one individual yep. where, uh, you know, everywhere she goes, it's a disaster when she leaves. So <laughs> just, but look, Monterey's got another problem here, and that has to do with um, a property out in North Monterey on North Fremont Street at Casa oh, Verde. Yeah where um, uh, the Casa Verde uh, Motel is there. It's this dilapidated, run-down Roach Motel. And then alongside of it is the old Caruso's Corner Restaurant. And uh, and a, a developer has wanted to uh, take that property. I think they own it now. And their plan is for a 42-foot-tall um, motel there, a 42-room motel, which is going to be very, very tall. And the most incredible thing about it is that there is no parking on site for the employees and there is no parking on site for like deliveries. So like linen and foods and whatever else stuff the motel has to have, there is nowhere for the delivery trucks to park. Now that particular neighborhood, Casa Verde in North Monterey, uh, it's just full of apartment buildings. And when you're at that intersection and you're driving down Casa Verde, there is nowhere to park on the street because most of those apartments, like a lot of apartments in Monterey, they're very expensive. And uh, you have more people, <laughs> you know, living in the apartments with more cars than was probably envisioned by the developers when they were built. So there is never any on-street parking, particularly in the evening or late afternoon. I noticed on uh, Next Door Neighborhood, there's quite a conversation going on about this from residents that want to stop this. And uh, one, one local business, uh, a family who owns a 13-unit apartment building right behind the proposed site is kind of leading the charge on this because they uh, see how injurious it is going to be to their property. And the people who own this 13-unit apartment are the same people that own the motel in Pacific Grove that cross swords with uh, Ms. Wyatt. It's the Maroon family that has that well, part particular do they apartment. Own the apartment house? Do they own the apartment house? Sorry, Mark. Do they own the apartment house or do they own the, the site? No, no, no. They own an apartment oh. building adjacent to oh. the site. There's a 13-unit yeah. yeah. apartment building that's gotcha. either right behind the site or, or just a, a couple properties removed. And they see the building of this hotel as something that's going to be very negative. Because, you know, if you look at the site right now, you drive by that corner, and I think that that little motel had somewhere between 13 and, and 20 rooms. That little one-story Casa Verde Inn, okay? And then you have the, uh, the, the old restaurant there. And the plan is for 42 rooms and the city councils approved this thing you know they and the people in the neighborhood are just beside themselves and i think it's pretty interesting that the um <laughs> you know we have all these self-confessed progressives and enviros that sit on the monterey city council and this thing just flies by with um you know really not a lot of uh, due diligence on the part of the council well if it if it's uh Supports the city revenue-wise. I have found, <laughs> look at Pacific Grove as an example, that as long as that revenue is coming in so they can keep up with the salaries of the employees, 
stuff gets fast tracked as yeah. much as it can be fast tracked. And if you have a council, and this has happened in the past in Pacific Grove, that if you have a council that's just looking at the revenue and looking at the staff and what we call a staffocracy in Pacific Grove, where in the past, and hopefully this is going to change with a new city manager coming soon, that uh, it's not just the staff deciding things that it's what the people of the community want and that the council is a little more open to not being so friendly with the staff and making sure that they represent the people who put them in office because it is just absurd. And I see it all the time with, with a lot of cities where there's that closeness with employees and people trying to get a, approval of the employees kind of thing. They ignore the public. Right. And they don't operate in the public's best interest. And they need cities are so starved for money, they'll approve almost anything these days as long as it's going to be a positive revenue. Well, and then the city says, you know, their defense is well, this site is zone VAF, visitor accommodation facility. And since we're a charter city, we just can't change that by a vote of the council. We have to have the people in the city vote for it, and it's got to be like a two-thirds majority. Well, I can guarantee you that if you put on the next ballot, should the should this particular property on this corner be rezoned from VAF to multifamily housing, because that's what a lot of people want to see there, like a small apartment building, um, you know, should we change the city charter to do this? I don't think you'd have any trouble at all getting 66% of those voting in Monterey to approve something like that. They, they, people would run to the polls to vote yes on a change like that. And the city knows it, and so they don't want to give uh, the people an opportunity to vote on it at all. Well, what, what, well, would, you, uh, what would you suggest they do about the, the homeless problem? I, I agree with everything you're saying, but I, I'm just wondering what could we do with the homeless problem? Because what, what better wait, wait a place minute. This thing a homeless isn't, person yeah, to live than yeah. a place called Shangri-La? Yeah, but hang on a second, Paul. <laughs> um, this this is a hotel. This isn't going to be a hotel for the homeless. This is just, this is going to be an upper-end hotel. Um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I no, apologize. No, no, this I is, thought... this is, no, this is a visitor accommodation facility. It's designed to be a, uh, a high-end boutique uh, hotel okay. with lots of TOT uh, no, no. revenue to the city. All right. I, I was confused. I thought we were still talking about the Project Home Key one. Okay. Yeah. Well, and the, the thing is, too, you don't know what's going to end up happening either. You know, you end up building these places and then all of a sudden you start having major problems with parking. And how do you reverse that now? You know, and the thing is, is every time now something is proposed, People come out of the woodwork, and if I was homeless, if I was having trouble paying rent, I'd probably, you know, be one of those people too. But every single thing that's done now, everybody talks about low-income housing. And it's just like everybody wants, you know, a skateboard park. Every, you know, people want this and that. And the other. Everybody wants their little, little, you know, bit of the pie without looking at realistically what's a city able to do within the restrictions of, you know, how much open space is there to build something? I mean, this thing Pacific Grove is doing where they're uh, going to have a temporary skateboard park behind the fire station is just absolutely absurd. You know, and but let's throw a bunch of money just to make people a little bit happy, you know, and a certain segment a little bit happy. So, yeah, I, I think they should just let the developers do what the developers do. Although, 
I, I truthfully, like, I don't know that the, like, if you just built a bunch of apartments here, Mark, give me a, a really good counter argument to this. Maybe if they were rentals, you could do this. But it seems like every time we build apartments, even if they're not luxury, like Holman level apartments, they're just going to get their perfect properties to just lock up and move away from. So they're going to like rich people from the Bay Area or elsewhere. Those are prime properties, even if it's a smaller, you know, 700 square foot apartment. It's kind of like a, a good deal for them because they can come down on the weekend, just unlock it. And they don't have to worry about the yard or anything. So it's I don't know how we can expand our housing um, stock here without. Turning into like Vienna or no Venice, Venice, Italy, where it's basically a, a complete town full of uh, vacation homes. I don't know. What do you think, Dan, Mark, anyone? Hey, you know, it's nature's going to take its course, whatever that course is. But this concept that again, and I've brought it up many times, this concept that everybody that wants to live in Pacific Grove has to be able to live in Pacific Grove. <laughs> and whether we got to subsidize them, whether, we, you know, it Im impacts us, whether we got to build, I, the guy that I had the paper with thought we should build these high rises so that everybody that wanted to live in Pacific Grove could live there. I mean, it's absurd, you know, and it, it's, you know, like uh, now when you're looking at how many people are coming over the border every freaking day, you know, Say, hey, should we just wave them, wave them into Pacific Grove? You know, I mean, I'm sure that every one of them would want to live in Pacific Grove. Well, right. If we, I'm thinking, if we build high rises, like you're saying, I don't think it's going to be the first generation immigrant that's going to live there. It definitely is going to be, you know, a Bay Area IT worker or you know, computer scientist. Well, it's and, you know, who's but just not if it's low income housing yeah. and it's government subsidized. You know what we ended up? Remember when they built the place in Pacific Grove? Uh, the senior housing that's down by Lover's Point, one of the great locations in this world. And they built that housing and everybody supported it because they thought people that used to live in Pacific Grove and people that lived in Pacific Grove were going to be able to live there. And then they find out because of government financing, they had to have a lottery and you could give a little bit, you know, like an extra ball to the people that lived in Pacific Grove and people that used to live here. But there were people coming in there and since it wasn't a, uh, financial needs. It was income based. Mm -hmm. There were retired people with tons of assets. There were th basically that ended up being their second home and they're driving like brand new Mustangs and Mercedes, and everything else. And it was like their vacation home. Yeah, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to stop rules. that though. Right. Yep, it, exactly. That's why you have to be careful when you do this crap, what the unintended consequences, you might have some concept of what you want to happen. You might have pie in the sky ideas of these things, but the unintended consequences that you're not going to be able to reverse uh, sometimes are pretty incredible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, think about that same neighborhood, Dan, the Monarch Pines uh, mobile home park started out as most mobile <laughs> home parks, low income housing. Well, that's. That's about tell, what it, tell us now, Mark, what what a, a place is going for in the mobile home park. I I think I've seen prices in the seven hundred thousand or more range. They, in the mid eight hundred thousand. This is fifty five and older too, isn't it? Is yes, that, it is. Yeah. Yeah, what what uh what vexes me about uh, the the mobile home park at the end of um you know by the beach house there is that the path really should go through there because that's where when the, the train went but uh they they've somehow turned it into a gated community 
So yeah, and it's and it's uh, been the subject of discussions and threatened lawsuits. And I think the city just said, uh, "Let's leave it lie and not pursue yeah, it in so any way." Stepping on a cat's tail every yeah. time you bring yeah. it up. Mark, you were gonna <laughs> you were gonna bring up a story well, before we. Uh, yeah. I, I was just going to say, you know, regarding this whole thing, what Dan was talking about, and, you know, everybody wanting to live in Pacific Grove and, and so forth, is that um, <clears throat> what we had happen in Monterey County for a long time on the peninsula was really unusual for a seaside community to have such low-priced housing mm-hmm. in a place that's right on the water that is so close to relatively well-to-do uh, urban areas like San Francisco and San Jose, and it, it's it's an anomaly. It doesn't really exist elsewhere, and the reason it was different here, I think, what suppressed housing prices for decades in this area was the presence of the fishing industry and the sardine canneries down on Cannery Row, because it, there used to be a saying that it was Carmel by the sea, Pacific Grove by God, because it was a church town, and Monterey by the smell, because when you had all the, the canneries and the, and the fish meal reduction facilities down on Cannery Row and the wind came in, Monterey stunk. It was a terrible smelling town and people didn't want to live here, especially rich people. You know? And so that kind of depressed the cost of housing. One of the reasons why housing in New Monterey was a lot cheaper than housing on the other side of Presidio Hill was because, you know, you were getting an updraft uh, from the canneries, right, uh, you know, through through New Monterey, and it didn't so, smell very good here. So I'm, I think there's an argument to be made there. So we should erect a sign that says move to Mendocino or Eureka, because you're going to, you'll find some cheap houses up there, dude. Right. But, but, not but are, are we the point, start, the, the point being that, squids and sardines again. And, yeah, you know, you do that. right. that's right. You bring the canneries and the and all that back, and you'll see housing prices drop tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not sure there's enough sardines left in the bay. Maybe there are. You know, and that's. The old Chinese village that was down there that infamously burned down, and there's still questions as to you know exactly what happened there. Not questions to looting afterwards, but you know how did it, the fire start and stuff. But they say one of the main reasons that people didn't like the village wasn't because it was Chinese people living there, but because of the stink. They have their fishing nets out there and everything else, and and you'd have the smell of the fish industry right. down there too and they felt that real hard to develop the retreat when you have this rank smell all the time right. so you know I, again like mark say you, you know they even when i was young and you know 50 some odd years ago uh the other side of the tracks actually uh to an extent ran below pine in addition to being above david avenue so yeah del monte park but down below you know hippies infested you know like this what is now the centrala hotel right and, you know it was just everything was cheap and and low income down there and boy things turned around you know yeah. i was talking to someone the other day that used to live here and i said yeah you basically can't get a home in pacific grove for less than a million dollars now i was wrong about mendocino apparently houses there are almost as expensive as pacific grove but i went on yeah. zillow just now and yeah. you can go, go slightly north to fort bragg it's almost it's similarly uh, beautiful and i found this lovely uh, 1200 square foot home 
about a block from the water for six hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. So there's the solution. A bargain. Move do to they, Fort do they still have the pulp or, uh, paper pulp mills up there? Because boy, those things stink. I remember driving through Fort maybe, Bragg. Maybe that's what the, the theory. Yeah, we just need it. We don't actually need the canneries. We need something to just produce this awful smell. Dan, start eating some beans. That's what. <laughs> yeah. I'm, well, there you hey, go. Hey, I think listen, it's going to take listen, more than if, just uh, me to do it. If, yeah. uh, well, you know, one thing that could have impacted um, housing prices uh, throughout this, you know, lower part of Monterey Bay would have been had uh, Humble Oil succeeded in building that refinery at Moss uh. Landing. Imagine what uh, what the entire area would well, look like today. I think the, the other thing that would, I think, drive down prices is if uh, the DLI closed or the Naval Postgraduate School closed. Hey, um, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but uh, if if those places closed, it's just like when the military left, you know. But now what do we got going up in Marina? But, you know, million plus homes. But if, if you want more crazy. vaping and tattoo parlors and massage joints, then Dan, get those middle class people out of here. That's what I say. Yeah. What is? Are, do you have something against those things? Between that, <laughs> hey, Pacific Grove, and I don't know what this is about, but on Forest Avenue in Pacific Grove now, there's an IV. I think it's IV treatment or something. Yeah, I've seen they an infusion signs. place. Yeah. Oh, so you just and go there like, and you get an IV. What is that? Is that well, it, might be, it might be something medical. It's not medical. Is it? I think it, but I don't know. I know there's places like that where, uh, you know, you get vitamin and, uh, you know, infusions, oh. you get ketamine, you know, stuff, you know. So maybe if you have, a, a, like you say, maybe, I don't know. Again, I, I'm curious. Anybody that's out there that knows, please uh, send Paul an email. Yeah. By the way, be, be careful with ketamine or you'll end up like Matthew Perry because apparently, oh, you know, you yeah. an o- overdose of ketamine. And alcohol yeah, in the I mean, system. Are we surprised? You know, it's you don't usually don't sit in a in a hot tub and you've had the history that he had, and all of a sudden it's just got too warm and you got cooked. You know, it's yeah. just. I uh, hate to be and, so naive. What is what is ketamine exactly? Because I've heard it referenced a lot, um, and I'm kind of naive about that. Mark, what is what exactly is ketamine? Oh gosh, I was just reading about it the other day, and and I just let it pass through because I thought to myself, well, I'm not that interested in this. Other than you know, <laughs> I'm not going to be using. I'm not going to be using. It, so what do I care? It's an anesthetic used to induce and a maintenance of anesthesia as a treatment you just for depression. It. Yeah, for depression. Yeah. I wonder if that's yeah. what uh, was in. Um, I wonder if uh, Michael Jackson. No, he they put him in like. They had him no, broken, so. he did prof, uh, wall or whatever, which is a, that freaking knocks you out. You know, it's a, they use it now to uh, knock people out in uh, hospitals for, for well, you know, minor surgery. I want to end on a pause note because we got to end here. As I heard the statistic this week, and I want you guys to just uh, ingest this for a minute. In 1919, and now we're talking about stuff that will put you to sleep there, Dan. In 1919... <laughs> They, they, this basically is, they did a study or a bunch of economists did this should have uh, Dave Henderson come on on this, but they, they calculate how many hours it takes to buy something. So if you like wanted a <laughs> pair of shoes, how many hours would I have to work to buy a pair of shoes in 1919 right. versus 2019? And it turns out, Dan, I hope you're sitting down. Uh, things right now are one tenth of the price that they were in those terms. In 1919, for example, if you pay 250 for a shoe, right. but we're making 25 cents an hour, that's a very expensive shoe. So you know, you get what I'm it's, saying. So now, my, yeah, my, my my wild guess is it has something to do with automation. 
automation you know, just, and and the the beauty of capitalism and uh, the modern economy and, and, then, and then slave and then, labor in China and yeah, global Vietnam global and, markets yeah. and, and uh, yeah. so, you know and that, the ability but, to move those things but, you're not paying people minimum wage What's I just want everybody to remember everybody yeah. in earshot our dozens of listeners as they say on the Motley Fool but I'll say it here it's our dozens of listeners I'll say this when we start complaining remember the poorest person you know that's not homeless uh, has a TV, a microwave, and a refrigerator, yeah. and probably some sort of internal heating and air conditioning, which almost nobody had in the 1940s. So, right. with that, you know, and, and if I may, just an interesting a little ant, antidote, as they say, or ant, whatever that word is. Anecdote. My uh, yeah. brother was, yeah, my brother was a uh, missionary in Peru, of all things, and uh, he had a family that had been coming to church, you know, and but all of a sudden they stopped. And he's like, well, what the heck's going on? And so he goes out, and this is, you know, we're talking uh, 40, almost 50 years ago. And um, goes out of brew and little shanties, you know, like you've seen in, all, we've all seen in books where, you know, I mean, literally shanties, people living in, you know, cardboard boxes and lean-tos and stuff. And all of a sudden, there's this one house that has a TV antenna. And he goes up and it's the folks that have been coming to church. And those people were, of course, the only people with the TV, they were showing uh, reruns. I remember telling you this of uh, some show, the skipper from, uh, I forgot what it's called, but it was a Gilligan's Island. Gilligan's Island. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I had a TV show before Gilligan's Island and that's playing 50 years ago. And, uh, they're in there. He, the guy had won a TV that's and, true. Brought it home, and they leaving the house because with the darn antenna, everybody knows where the TV is in the neighborhood. They're going to come and steal it. So, so here you moral, got people. The moral of the story, Dan. Shoes. Dan, yeah. I expect you to see you in the pews this Sunday, the day before Christmas. They're <laughs> singing along with the faithful because you know you could use some God. I'm telling they, you, they don't <laughs> want the roof falling in, man. So, <laughs> you know. Hey guys, before you know, <clears throat> before we good. go, some really to, to finish on a positive note and some really good news here. And I know a lot of times we complain about a lot of institutions in our area, but um, uh, a pat on the back to Chomp because uh, they sent out uh, letters this week, and also they bought a couple full page ads in local publications that uh, anyone who received medical care from Chomp during COVID nineteen and haven't paid off your bill. Chomp is wiping all that debt off, 100% of it, for of all outstanding patient responsible medical care debt incurred during 2020, 2021, and 2022. That's $40 million over 29,000 29, patients, $40 million. They're writing it off as basically a, a Christmas gift to all those folks. So, that's tough. And well, and fun, funny enough, on next door, which I think we all agree is the nastiest, most vile place you can go to get uh, talk with your neighbors. This woman put on there uh, you, what Mark just said, and with a link to the I think KSBW story on it or something, and and she wrote, "It's about time." Oh. It's like, wow. uh, could we do something like, hey, Chomp, uh, you know, me, Mr. Negative, I'm going, hey, Chomp, good job. You know, but she and there were I kept getting notices that people were commenting on it after I commented. And I didn't even go back because no, 
knowing, you know, Pacific Road, they're all going, why did you say that? She was just trying to point out. But this woman's always like that. It's, mm -hmm. you know, just like, let's find fault with <laughs> the city, you know, Dan Miller, wherever I can. But and with me, I almost never look at next door, but that had come over, you know, through email. And I went and looked at it and I go, for goodness sake, how can you say it's about time? Like they were under an obligation. Everybody needs to know. Chomp is a nonprofit. And I myself have have benefited from uh, them picking up a bill. You know, uh, of course, I almost died. But, you know, that's a whole other story, you know, and avoided a lawsuit. But uh, I know a lot of people who chomp, you know, they don't have the wherewithal to pay. They don't aren't fully covered with insurance and and chomp is so generous in covering stuff it really irritates me every time i hear you know aspirin stories or whatever you know from from chomp because they do more for this community than people have a freaking concept of and if you do your homework and due diligence you'll know that what i want to know now is going forward because having spent some time today at a medical facility in ryan ranch seeing everybody wearing masks again or a large percentage of people uh and here and somebody i know just got covid you know it's it seems like it's you know starting to propel again but people just aren't going to put up with the governmental shenanigans of the last time so uh everybody please you know <laughs> hold on to your seats because of what may come up but again kudos to chomp just like um What's his name's uh, sister that gave all the money for Juana to uh, uh, who they just finished their building um, to do um, a mental health uh, help for young people and stuff. There's people that just go unheralded that need to get more positive attention. Yep. And that's going to be my final thing for this show. And to everybody, uh, whatever your you know religious beliefs are, whatever your Christmas beliefs are, have wonderful uh, holiday and uh and enjoy yourselves and your families and those around you all right and merry christmas to you guys and to everyone else yeah Thank merry you. christmas dan you've inspired me i'm gonna go on to next door and just write merry christmas over and over again and see if i get some uh some happy holidays hate they'll be like happy holidays, please <laughs> trust me you merry will. christmas but, uh, <laughs> when did next door become a religious site <laughs> God for, if I said happy Hanukkah, I'd probably there'd be an intifada out on me. But uh, yeah, right now, who knows? <laughs> oh, it's horrible. But anyway, well, Merry Christmas. Go to church, Dan. It's only a couple yeah. doors down from your house. And yeah. I will see you guys next week about this time. And everybody listening, uh, we so so really appreciate your support. And uh, you can send uh, me an email at paul.wyant at expresspros.com if you want to voice your opinion about Dan's. Uh, comments and that's all I got to say. Oh, and <laughs> go to, go to uh, what's the plan monterey.com. And Mark, thanks for joining us this week. Hopefully, we don't find you on uh, some windswept mountaintop uh, repairing an antenna. That's next by yourself, week. Uh, <laughs> and, and die of exposure. So please don't do that. All, all right. right. Thanks, guys. guys. Okay, bye bye. Right, bye bye. Oh, bye.